Today's show is brought to you by Audible. Please visit www.audiblepodcast.com slash castle for your free audiobook download. Podcastle, number 29, for October 14th, 2008, Dead Languages, by Mary Haskell. Hello, this is Rachel Swirsky, Podcastle's editor. I have a confession to make. I am that rare creature, one you've heard about but never met, that peculiar and scarce-seen thing you probably thought was only of legend. I am a fantasy fan. Who doesn't like Buffy the Vampire Slayer? I've tried. I've watched episodes on TV. I even rented the first season from Blockbuster and sat down to watch them with firm resolution to enjoy them, or at least, at the very least, to understand what about this show is so seductive that it's pulled in leagues of Joss Whedon fanatics. Three episodes in, and my mind was numb. My attention kept sliding off the TV, like when you're reading a textbook and your eyes glaze over for three or four pages before you snap back to yourself and realize you haven't understood a single word since mitosis is... Since I'm bored by our era's most iconic vampire slayer, it seems pretty clear that I'm hardly the authority on why vampire slayers are fun and seductive. But I'll hazard a guess anyway. In his book, The Dreams Our Stuff Is Made Of, the late Thomas Dish argues that basically everyone just wants to kick some vicarious ass. This week's story, Dead Languages, was written by Mary Haskell of MaryHaskell.com. Mary lives in southeastern Michigan with her husband, stepdaughter, and 47 pounds of cats. While attending the University of Michigan, she studied two dead languages and two living ones. None of them were Latin. Dead Languages first appeared in Farthing Magazine. The story is read for us by M.K. Hobson, author of Podcastle episodes Hotel Astarte and Hippocampus. To find out more about M.K. Hobson, visit her website at demimond.com or her blog, mkhobson.livejournal.com. Links in this introduction are available at our website, podcastle.org. Enjoy the story! Dead Languages by Mary Haskell I have a confession, Annabelle said, steering the car into the snow-dusted mall parking lot. I have involved us in a crazy scheme. Oh, I asked, suddenly alert to my getaway options. Crazy schemes and Annabelle had been getting me into trouble since I was six, when she convinced me to steal all the crayons from the art room to melt into a giant ball of wax. I've gotten you the lead in an independent short film. What? I shrieked. I admit, not my witty best, but I was trying to be discreet in wrapping my fingers around the door handle and calculating the car's speed. Annabelle locked the car and smiled with a vague and friendly sort of evil. There's no need to thank me. I'm considering some antisocial ways in which to do just that, I said, but I'll allow you to explain since I'm a prisoner anyway. This film, it's an homage to all the recent vampire stuff in Hollywood. A feminist reinterpretation, actually. Hollywood already has a feminist reinterpretation of the vampire story. It starts with a B and rhymes with stuffy. 
This will be a real feminist reinterpretation. I looked down at my breasts, the two layers of tummy beneath them, and my pudgy fingers interlaced on my lap. I looked back up at Annabelle's round, determined face. Let me get this straight. Your independent filmmakers want to make a film with a fat vampire slayer. Vampire hunter, and yes, she guided the car carefully over an icy speed bump. How is this a feminist reinterpretation of the vampire legend and not mockery of fat women, I asked. Fat is a feminist issue. Yes, to us, to fat women. Is this film being made by fat women? Well, you're in it, she said, and I'm the art director. But, yeah, it's a bunch of skinny young guys. Annabelle pulled into a parking garage with a sigh. Are you sure they know what I look like? I gave them an audition tape. Dread crept over me. Oh, no. You sent them Look Homeward Angel? It was the last production I'd been involved with, and it was a disaster. I face-palmed into a moan. No! I sent them your dramatic reading of that old English battle poem, the one you recorded for your students. The Battle of Brunanbur? I mumbled into my hands. My students laughed when they watched it. Only because you did it so well, Annabelle said with sprightly false cheer. Nuh-uh, that's not why they laughed. I put my hands down. It's meaner than that. Skinny young people don't like to see fat old people emoting. First, you're not old. Second, I ask you, is that fair? Annabelle's eyes were narrow, focused away from me while hunting a parking space. I reconsidered an escape from a moving car after all. Of course it isn't fair, I said, my finger edging toward the automatic locks button. So what are you going to do about it? Uh, nothing. Well, are you going to stop showing the Battle of Brune Watsits to your high schoolers? No. So why not do this? Because while I can write off ignorant ninth graders, I'm not so confident about artsy independent filmmakers. They're young, still in college. Even worse. Annabelle swung the car into a space and parked it. She turned to me, her face earnest. Do it for us, Lillian. Do it for the fat girls. I blew a very spitty raspberry. I'm not the crusader. I'm no activist. I thought those bulletin boards about the aliens eating fat people were funny. You did not. Yes, I did, because it's true. If aliens invaded tomorrow with a taste for human flesh, aren't they going for the veal? I patted my belly. I thought you were a feminist. I am, I said, stung. There was a moment of silence as we each reconsidered our strategies. Perhaps, Annabelle said slowly, I forgot to mention that you'll be compensated for your time. Five hundred bucks of compensated. Oh, five hundred bucks, and Christmas was coming. Okay, I popped open the door and got out before leaning back in to say, Fat girls got to eat, too, you know. The filmmakers, I couldn't tell the director from the producers and all the other things, stood together around one of the cameras in a tall, leggy mass. I stood alone while Annabelle trotted off to consult with them. After that, the tall, leggy things started darting less-than-discreet glances at me over their shoulders. Finally, a girl broke from the group and came over to me. Lillian? Thanks for coming. I'm Justine, the line producer. 
the girl handed me a script. Can you learn scene 12 real quick so we can rehearse? I frowned down at the papers in my hand. So that's it? You cast me based on an audition tape? There's no more to it? We don't have a lot of time. We're getting this in the can in two days, nights rather, and we know you can recite nonsense syllables from memory with emotion. Perfect for our vision. Those weren't nonsense syllables, I said darkly. That was a famous Anglo-Saxon poem. Yeah, anyway, your theater experience is really impressive too. She tapped her clipboard. Those are mostly high school productions. Uh, okay, but you worked with Reddersmith? I dropped his class, if that counts, I said. But you were a theater major in college? I was, before I scrapped it for English education and linguistics. Huh. She looked at her clipboard for a moment, as if trying to make another actress appear through the power of her mind. Well, you've acted for the camera before, though, right? I took a class called Acting for the Camera, but you know it was a bad class. In fact, that's the one I dropped. Huh, Justine said again. She looked over her shoulder at some skinny guys fiddling with cameras. Okay, so anyway, we're not going to tell the boys that. The boys? Tyler and Dylan and Christian. Sound, lights, and the director. The skinny guys were in charge. The skinny guys looked like my ninth graders. Uh-huh. We're desperate, okay? Our lead backed out just this morning. When Annabelle told us about you, we were so happy. Anyway, your acting experience is recent, so we're not too worried. Recent? Almost ten years ago. What? She frowned and raised her eyebrows at the same time, lengthening her face comically. Poor girl, I wasn't reassuring her in the least. Still happy with Annabelle? I asked, not hiding my malicious grin. Look, she said, in a tone that indicated that I'd finally broken through her wall of patience. Just try to learn your lines, and it doesn't matter if you're over 30. You don't look it. I'm not over 30. My recalcitrance had bitten me on the ass. I'm only 28. She looked as though 28 was just as horrifying as over 30, but she shrugged and walked away. I glared at her retreating back, then glared over at the trio of skinny boys with floppy hair who probably weren't even old enough to drink. My glare had no effect on anyone. I studied my lines until Annabelle came puffing up to me. I raided your closet, she said, handing me a shopping bag. I peeked inside, paled, and glared at her. You sure did. You're going to be an icon. You have to dress the part. What exactly is iconic about wearing a leather bustier size? She's got a great personality, I asked. What's not? She also pulled out my leather duster and the boots I affectionately referred to as my shit kickers. Call me an iconoclast, then, I said, shoving the goods all back into the bag. Five hundred dollars, she sing-songed. I sighed. Can't I just wear this? I can be iconic in this. An Oxford shirt and jeans. Nuh-uh, she said, shoving the bag into my hands. No one can be iconic in Land's End. Now the mall is still open. We can get you dressed in a bathroom there. I have lines to learn. I'll read them to you on your way over. She got behind me and pushed. I sniffled, but started walking. Arm flab. I babbled, I'm going to be showing the world my arm flab. 
Yes, but it's pretty flab, Annabelle said, looking through the script as we walked. Are you sure that the young millennials aren't making fun of fat chicks? I asked. I'm sure. Is this going on the internet? Absolutely. Christian thinks it's the best vehicle for distribution. This project is more than just a class assignment for them. Ugh, I'm going to be the chick on the internet with the arm flab. Do you know how unfair that is? I'm not about arm flab. I'm a chess master, you know? Uh, yeah, that's great. I'll make sure they put that in your bio. I learned more about acting for the camera that first night than I ever did in Redder Smith's class, largely through Christian's clipped, nearly angry method of direction. Occasionally, I did things so wrong that Justine and Annabelle would take me aside and have a small talk with me. I was so pumped with adrenaline from the fear, stage fright and cleavage fright and arm flab fright, all combined, that when dawn broke, the passage of time surprised me. We filmed a short scene in which my character fooled a vampire into sticking around for the rising sun before Christian called it a night. At home, I made myself a hot bath, fell asleep in the tub, and only woke when the phone rang at ten. The water was freezing. I stumbled to my feet, took a blistering shower, and then returned the call. It was David, my sort of boyfriend. How was girls' night out? he asked coyly. Turned out to be quite an event, I said through a yawn, spent most of the night clad in leather, leaping to perform the commands of three boys. And two women, I added as an afterthought. Dead silence on the other end of the phone. This was why he was only my sort of boyfriend. I relented and explained the situation to him. Dead silence again. Look, I said finally, I'm pretty tired. I'm going to bed so I can get up and learn the rest of my lines. Christian wasn't too damned happy that I didn't really know anything last night. And tonight there's going to be some stunt work. So, no dinner tonight? Oh, crap. We can eat beforehand. Great, David said, trying to make his voice genial but mostly just sounding confused. Good night, I said. Good morning, he responded brightly. Feel the breakup, I said, hanging up the phone. It flows through me. It flows through you. I held the little gold scroll up to my face and practically crossed my eyes trying to read the words printed there. I think I need glasses, I said. The hunter doesn't wear glasses, Christian said. It was a joke. I held the scroll closer. This doesn't strike me as being a very good prop. Annabelle looked hurt. It's authentic, she said. You of all people should appreciate that. Some Roman soldier carried that around and thought it did something. Did what? I asked. Protected him in battle? I don't know. I don't read Latin. I thought you did. Look, Christian snarled. I'm only trying to get eight minutes of film down, so if we get serious, I might actually get that. It's not like you put this in the script, I pointed out. I'm actually supposed to read this here. Make something up, Christian said through clenched teeth. I told myself that I wouldn't kill him, that karma would get him soon enough. I squinted and read the incantation aloud. Fabulous, Christian said. Do it again, and this time we'll film it. I did it again. In fact, I did it twice more, and Christian was satisfied with that. The crew started to shift things around for the next scene. I caressed the little thing of beaten gold, put it back inside its locket, and put the locket around my neck. 
quite a prop, I said to Annabelle as she ran past. Yes, someday you'll tell me what it means, she said. Something about truth, I think, I said, but she was gone. But Latin is not actually one of my dead languages, I announced to the air. Or so I thought. Christian repeated from behind me, one of your dead languages. I sniffed and hugged my duster tighter to my body. It wasn't warm enough outerwear for the week before Christmas. If you're very lucky, sometime I'll tell you the ones I am fluent in, I said, then winced inwardly. It was like flirting with a twelve-year-old. Right, he said with a blank look. Okay, yeah, more like an autistic flirting with a twelve-year-old. Who the hell is impressed by dead languages anymore? Christian bellowed over my head, a hefty bellow for such a skinny guy. Pete, I need you out of vamp makeup. Drop the pointy teeth and the holy shit. I turned to look. Pete, playing my nemesis, had hammed up the vampire act the previous day, and to all appearances he was hamming it up this day, too, by pretending to feed in Justine. The blood dripping down her neck looked awfully real, though. That's pretty impressive. Looks real, I said. Yeah, Annabelle is talented, though if we had that, why were we using the strawberry syrup? His voice trailed off. I knew then. I knew. I ran to Pete. I yanked him back, seemingly without effort on my part, and shoved a crucifix into his face. He recoiled, fangs dripping with blood, and Justine slumped to the ground. The next few minutes passed by in a blur of swearing and growls. Pete ended up on the ground with my knee on his neck, while Dylan, or maybe Tyler, I never was fully able to distinguish them, staunched the flow of blood from Justine. The rest of the crew was utterly freaked out. Except for Annabelle, who called for an ambulance. Holy crap, he's a vampire, Christian panted at me. Yes, I said, dazed. I couldn't take my knee off Pete's neck. He was fighting me every second. That can't be. It... It can't be real. It can't be happening, Christian said. Well, thanks. That's reassuring, I snapped. I mean, it's not happening just because you said so. You sure are a bitch, Christian said, breaking his mantra of denial. Just doing my part to destroy the myth of the jolly fat person. You idiot, this is happening. It's a prank. It has to be. Look at her, I jabbed a finger at Justine. Pete wasn't a vampire all along, was he? Dylan asked. I mean, he never tried to eat anyone before. I've seen him in daylight, Tyler said. He didn't burn up. Maybe that's not how vampires really work, Dylan said. No, Christian said. He wasn't a vampire before. He turned to look at me, just like she wasn't a vampire hunter before. Did you see what she did to him? I bet if she let him go right now, the three of us couldn't take him down. But she did by herself. Annabelle closed her cell phone with a snap and turned on Christian. Is this some meta-experimental bullshit like Blair Witch you're screwing with us in front of the camera? But the cameras weren't on. And I knew the strength I felt in my arms didn't have anything to do with a prank either. I reached over my chest to feel one of my arms. My coat bulged, no longer full of loose flabby flab, but full of flab-coated muscle. Hmm. We didn't know what to do, so we let the cops have Pete. Loyalty aside, he'd tried to eat Justine. Justine ended up going to the hospital, and Annabelle rode along in the ambulance. 
What with no vampire combined with the rest of the events of the night, Christian decided to stop filming. He looked spent, worried, older than his, what, 22 years? He glanced around at everyone packing up. I think, maybe, we all looked at him, I think we go to the bar now. Here, here, Dylan said. We were a supremely morose group filing into the brown jug. We got a table in the corner and ordered boilermakers for everyone. Around us, partiers dragged on cigarettes and guzzled fuzzy navels. I drank my shot and nursed my beer, though everyone around me dropped their shots into the beers. Kids. So, Dylan said, what exactly happened back there? Christian looked at me. This, he said, leaning forward and touching Annabelle's Roman charm where it hung around my throat. His fingertips brushed my skin and I shivered. We had you read from this a few times. Then all hell broke loose. Tyler looked aghast. That can't be it, can it? Annabelle said it was a real Roman charm, Christian said. She was so proud to have scored it. I took the locket off and opened it, and held the tiny scroll up for them. I don't read much Latin. Anyone? They all shook their heads. Well, I sighed, the undergraduate library is open all night. I'm sure they have dictionaries. Not to belittle the need to know, Christian said, but first I'd like to indulge the need to drink. Yeah, Tyler said. I fiddled with the scroll, peering at it in the dim, smoky light. Bound by spells, I said. Hmm? Christian asked. Well, the other words. I don't know most of them, but there's truth or some variant. And that word means bound, and that would be magic or spells. So truth, something truth, bound by spells. I looked up from the scroll, cross-eyed from having peered so closely at it. Christian was looking at me intently with dark eyes. I fiddled with the scroll, peering at it in the dim, smoky light. Bound by spells, I said. Hmm? Christian asked. Well, the other words, I don't know most of them. But there's truth or some variant. And that word means bound, and that would be magic or spells. So truth, something truth, bound by spells. I looked up from the scroll, cross-eyed from having peered so closely at it. Christian was looking at me intently with dark eyes. So you cast a spell by reading the thing? Tyler asked. It's certainly a possibility, Christian said, still staring at me. I felt uncomfortable and looked away, and I put the locket back around my neck for safekeeping. The library netted us the translation of the charm, For truth is truth when your eyes look upon it, and truth is bound by spells. We couldn't come to a consensus about what it meant, or how we might reverse the effects. We went our separate ways. I went home and crawled into bed. My wake-up call came from David at eight. Welcome back! How's the movie star? No, I said into the phone. I hung up and rolled over. The phone rang again. That's so weird, I just got a wrong number, David said. How you doing? I cleared my throat. Sleeping. Already? Did you get done early? Very early, I said. Justine got bitten by a vampire. Silence. He never knew how to take my jokes, and though this wasn't a joke, he didn't know how to take it either. Okay, he said. Yep, it is okay, because it turns out when I accidentally cast the spell that made Pete into a vampire, I became a vampire hunter. Silence. Finally, Pete Walker? No, not a Pete you know. You moron, I added silently. I'm going to sleep now.
Okay, David said. I'll see you at school tomorrow. Feel better. There'd been blessed silence for ten minutes when the phone rang again. I cursed. Sleeping, I bellowed into the phone. The silence on the other end made me think that, yes, it was David again. But then Christian's voice came through, amused. If that's so, you just woke yourself up. Oh, I thought you were my boyfriend. There was a pause. Um, no. I wasn't asking, I said. I have a boyfriend, which I know comes as a shock to you, seeing as I'm both fat and a bitch and all. You know, I've never called you fat, he said conversationally. There was a painful silence. What was I supposed to say? Thank you for not mentioning the thing obvious to all. But the thing was, I rarely, if ever, alluded to the fact that I was nowhere near close to my ideal weight. Something about Project Fat Vampire Hunter had brought out the worst in me, uncovering layers of self-doubt that I thought I'd grown past. There was no way I was explaining this to him. I cleared my throat. So, uh, why'd you call? We have a movie to finish, you know. And I have almost enough footage. I only really need one scene more. The killing scene. The scene where you stake a vampire, yes. Who's going to replace Pete? Dead air. You can't bust him out of jail. No, we can't, Christian agreed. And he's being held in isolation in the psych ward now, due to his hallucinations and violent tendencies, or so I've been told. Oh, no. Yeah, Christian said. It's rough. But Annabelle is working on a cure. She's got the grandmother she inherited the locket from, so... That's hopeful. But in the meantime, before the cure, you know, you really are a vampire hunter. I'd like to... I might hurt someone, I said. You might, but you might not. And there might be real vamps running around, you know? What makes you think that? Take a look at the morning papers. The papers were not good. Four deaths from rapid blood loss, all victims with their throats ripped out. Three deaths from ninja throwing stars, two sword duels, and one injury from what appeared to be a werewolf attack. And 43 cases of jolly old elf syndrome. 43 area Santas had gone crazy, utterly convinced that they were the one true Santa Claus. The resulting injuries came from a Santa brawl, some sort of attempt to gain Santa supremacy over the big mall out in the suburbs. There were a number of clubbings with Salvation Army bells. Good thing it hadn't been Halloween. One did sort of wonder about the ninjas and the duels, and the prevalence of vampires didn't look good. Gamers, I said to Annabelle on the phone. I'm pretty sure the other ones were people playing role-playing games. If everyone got turned into what they were pretending to be in the whole metro area, she shivered, I would have thought there were more gamers than that. The college kids have gone home for Christmas. It was a Saturday night on a big movie opening weekend. I ticked off the extenuating circumstances on one hand. And most gamers I know wouldn't get homicidal over being turned into their characters. They'd be jubilant. How's the reversal coming? Nona says I have to learn to tat lace first. What? She's holding me hostage, Lil. I have to promise to do all this stupid stuff if I want to know about the locket. Like what? Tat lace, stay for Sunday dinner, promise to be here for Christmas, bake cookies, I don't know, whatever old ladies get their jollies from. Did she tell you if there even is a reversal? She hasn't said. 
criminy. People are dying, Annabelle, and they're going to keep dying. And if I have to kill vampires, well, where's that going to leave the innocent people who were turned into them in the first place? I don't know. I'm taking this seriously. I'm learning to tat lace, for God's sakes. True. Five hours till dark. Annabelle's grandma lived about an hour away. You need backup, I said. Tell me the way to grandma's house. After effusive greetings at her front door, Nona sat me down in front of a plate of cookies and a glass of milk. Annabelle, wearing a frilly apron, her face all shiny red from the oven heat, was transferring cookies from baking sheet to cooling rack, from cooling rack to platter, with the speed of a madwoman. Now it's so nice to have one of Bella's friends come to visit, and here, have another cookie, Lillian, dear. No, thank you, I said. I'm afraid I didn't come for the cookies, ma'am. Call me Nona, honey. Okay, Nona. I held out the locket to her. Do you remember this? Oh, yes, she held the locket up. This was from my own Nona, Strega Nona. How did you get this, my dear? I glanced at Annabelle. She didn't look up from her cookies. Nona regarded Annabelle also. Oh, dear. She shook her head. I thought you liked it because it was pretty. I did, Annabelle said. I do. But also, we needed a prop for a movie, and it was too perfect, and... Nona shook her head. It doesn't matter much now. It's too late. You read the charm three times, and then it happened. What happened exactly, Nona? I asked. Things became as they appeared to be. She smiled and nibbled a cookie. We were silent for a moment, taking that in. How? How is that possible? I asked finally. Why wouldn't it be possible? Nona shrugged a frail shoulder. It's much harder to make things appear as they actually are. An interesting point of view. What's the cure? I asked. Cure? Counterspell. Nona just laughed. Too much Hogwarts for you, my dear. No, there's no counterspell, not any more. No one knows how to create these old magics. The best we can do is activate them. Another example of why we should do our best to learn the arts of our foremothers, she added and glared at Annabelle. I sat back in my chair, appalled. Nona turned penny-bright eyes on me. What did you become, dear? You seem pretty desperate. A vampire hunter, I said. She giggled. Oh, that's delightful. Oh, the Stregas would be so pleased. What do you mean, Nona? Just when you think things are most dark and drear, when every bit of magic has fled the mortal plane, something always happens and a little bit sneaks back in. I shook my head. People are dying. There are vampires, werewolves, things I can't even name. Well, sure there are. An enchanted forest is not without its predators, just like a regular forest. But who knows what other creatures may have been born from that spell? Fairies and witches and wonders you can't even imagine. Does that really balance it? I asked. I knew it didn't. I wanted her to say it. But she didn't. She reached over and patted my hand. Death is death, Lillian. I'd much rather go by vampire than by cancer. She smiled a toothless and delighted smile and urged another cookie on me. Where's the bustier? Christian asked, getting out of his car in a classically dank back alley. I looked up from where I crouched, tying my tennis shoes. The duster is all you get, bub. Creative cuts are continuity's friend. He frowned. 
I stood up and started stretching my arms. Getting ready to run a marathon? I resisted the urge to deliver a flying kick to his perfect white smile. It was enough to know that I could. That I probably could. Has it occurred to you that you're about to film the world's first vampire snuff film? In those words, no. Well, at least it occurred to one of us. Christian dropped his head to fiddle with his camera, which was sleek and digital and unobtrusive. I slid into the duster and straightened my cuffs. Christian said, This boyfriend you scream at. What about him? Are you that fond of him if you scream at him? I forgot to hesitate, to pretend to think about my answer. No, I don't much like him at all. Well, why then? Why are you with him? Because I don't want to hit my sexual peak without a partner, I said bluntly. I thought that would shut him up, but instead of looking green around the gills, he gave me a wolfish stare. I wouldn't worry about that if I were you. You're just trying to get me into the bustier, I said. Damn right, he said. Show us what you're made of. I sighed. I'll do it. This one time. But my vampire hunter career will never again feature impractical outfits. Pity. Why do you care? Christian grinned. Every superhero needs a sidekick. I figure, why let that kind of opportunity go by? You're kidding. Not in the least. What qualifies you as a sidekick anyway? Jimmy Olsen had a camera. Right. We'll discuss this later. I got into my car to change, and assumed he'd have no interest in looking. When I got back out, he was facing the other side of the alley and slightly out of breath. Curious. I said, I figure those ninjas will probably be looking for work. What? he asked, startled. Well, you could either start doing some great action films, or maybe one of them wants to hunt vampires too. I wasn't kidding. I want to be your sidekick. I shook my head. You're a funny kid. I'm not. Funny? A kid. If you say so, I shrugged. I do say so, he said, all earnest eyes. Look, who do you think I was pretending to be when your spell went off? Hopefully a great director. Yes, I was. So if the spell works for stuff like that, I'm pretty well set for life. Great! But I was also... He stopped and looked away. A technique I learned in school. From Reddersmith. I groaned. Oh, no. I knew all about Redder Smith's vaunted technique, and it was part of why I dropped that class. He said you have to love everything you want the audience to love. He said a lot of crap that no one believes. Yeah, so I wanted the audience to love you. I groaned again. Now wait, he said, looking worried. I'm not going off the deep end here. I'm just saying... Thank God for ninjas. At least this one time, they put an end to the wretched conversation. Incoming! I yelled and knocked Christian to the ground. Three throwing stars hit the pavement behind us. Yeah, maybe I should offer them gainful employment, Christian wheezed from beneath me. It was just a thought, I said, jumping off him and running to meet the ninjas in mortal combat. This fight was even less parsable to me than the one with Pete. My arms and legs acted independently of thought, rising and falling, blocking and pushing, holding and pressing, in actions that felt as familiar as breathing or sex. The quickness of it all made it impossible to comprehend, and before I fully registered that I'd hit something and something had hit me back, three ninjas were lying on the ground before me, secured with Christmas-colored zip ties. Freaking magic spells, I muttered. 
Christian ran up, panting. That was terrible. I didn't get most of the fight. It happened too fast. I'm not doing it again. Fine. They weren't vamps anyway. I raised a hand to push a loose piece of hair back from my face and observed that my hand was shaking. Adrenaline reaction. As fast and as easy as that had been, I was scared. As though from a distance somewhere outside my body, I watched Christian look at me, then look away quickly. I saw where his eyes had gone. To the arm flab. Maybe we can try again tomorrow night, he said. He was still filming in spite of everything. No. No? Christian turned to look at me, startled, his hair falling over his forehead, the planes of his face picked out in orange by the streetlights. Damn him for being cute, for being intense, for looking away from my arm flab. I don't need a sidekick, and I won't be trying again. Not tomorrow, not ever. But why? It's magic, Christian. It's not real. I'm not a superhero, and English teachers don't need sidekicks. It is real. Look at them. Ninjas. Real ninjas. Stalking a small Midwestern college town. Our college town. Things aren't going to just change back. The world is going to need you. Yeah, just like the world needs a fat feminist icon, I said. Only I don't get 500 bucks for this, and I might end up killing someone. What if I need you? He asked. But he wasn't looking at me when he asked it. I glared at Christian until he finally met my eyes. You don't need me. I do. I... I like you, he said lamely. You can't even look at me, I said, so you'll forgive me if I don't value your magic to love, or, pardon me, like, particularly highly. I flipped open my phone to call the cops before he could answer. Fortunately, in light of recent events, the police were only too happy to send a paddy wagon to pick up a trio of neatly packaged ninjas, and did not accuse me of playing a prank. At least something had gone right today. I don't think you're giving me a fair chance, Christian said quietly after I closed my phone. As fair as you deserve. The spell messed you up, so it messed me up worse. That's nothing compared to those guys. I pointed at our captives. Okay, the reluctant messiah gig. I get it. Christian said. I don't think it's going to work like that, you know. I don't think you get to go back to torturing your junior high kids with dead languages and yelling at the boyfriend you don't like on the phone. There's been a heaping mass of trouble born into this world, and you're partly to blame. I didn't know what I was chanting. And it won't just go away, all of this, he continued, and neither will I. What, you're planning to stalk me? I don't need to stalk you, he said. You'll do it all for me. He gave me an arrogant smile. I'm way cooler than your stupid boyfriend. You'll be thinking about me all week. And then, like I really need, or want, someone who's going to only increase my body image issues. I saw you looking at my arms. Never mind I'm ten years older. It's the hundred pounds heavier that's going to weigh on you. Pardon the pun, Christian said. No, I'd rub your nose in that pun if... Excuse me, one of the ninjas said. Are the police going to be here soon? I looked down at my captives. Soon enough. Good, this is very uncomfortable. Maybe if you don't like being hogtied, you shouldn't attack people. No, I meant listening to this conversation. I shut my mouth with an audible snap, turned and left. Christian could deliver the ninjas to the police. Christian was partly right. It didn't end just because I wanted it to. Things kept happening, you see, 
And the police were overworked and frequently baffled. And while I was baffled too, I had these handy superlatives in strength, speed, and monster sensing, and I couldn't just leave it all to the cops. Even when Annabelle pointed out that it was all just boring old caretaker behavior, the way I was going about it, and if I was going to be a kick-ass feminist icon, shouldn't I enjoy it more? I told her no, and to stop analyzing my motivations. She called me a tool of the patriarchy and asked me to go to the bar. When Annabelle and I got to the brown jug, Christian and his cohorts were at our table. I smiled blankly and avoided eye contact. Go on, Annabelle said, jabbing me in the kidneys. It was no use pretending I hadn't seen them, Annabelle's kidney-poking finger aside. Justine was waving wildly, and Christian had pulled out a chair for me. Tyler smiled confusedly like he couldn't quite place me. Somehow I found that reassuring. We sat down. Everyone chit-chatted about what they'd been doing since the film wrapped a month ago. I admitted that I was still teaching, though I'd had to make some compromises. Vigilante justice takes a lot out of a person, and I ended up giving fewer essay questions and more multiple-choice exams. I didn't mention, however, that I'd broken up with David. I didn't want Christian to think it had had anything to do with him. I just gotta tell you, Dylan told me, Night of the Ninjas was freaking awesome! I don't know what that means. Christian coughed delicately. The 63-second film of the ninja fight, he said. Oh, that night of the ninjas. I'd been calling it The Night Self-Doubt Defeated Me, in my head. The film was frickin' awesome, Dylan said. Do you think you could teach me that thing you did? I hardly know what thing I did, I said. Though I did know it, it was etched in my muscles. I found my hands curling into position as we talked. I forced my fingers to stretch straight and relax. I just wish Chris had been there for the giant sock monkey, Dylan added. Christian shrugged tightly, like he wanted us to believe it was no big deal. I looked down at my drink. I saw the picture in the paper, Justine said. I guess no one really thinks all this stuff is a hoax anymore, entirely. How do the cops react when you present them with giant sock monkeys, Dylan asked. We both pretend it's normal. It's easier. They don't really want to believe the world has changed, I said. Hell, I don't want to believe it either. I hadn't, really. Some poor kid had obviously been pretending to be one of his stuffed animals when I'd read from the Roman charm, and now he had the heel of an old work sock for a mouth. Word, Dylan said soberly. Man, Pete's just, I don't know, poor guy. You know, I went to visit him, and they think he's some sort of albino now because he's all pale and sensitive to sunlight. Has he tried eating anyone else? Justine asked. Nah, he's like in a straitjacket all the time. We were all sober now and quickly ordered another round when the waitress came by. Have you found any more vamps? Tyler asked. I shook my head. No, lots of werewolves, more than a few ninjas, a couple of rogue samurai, no vampires. I'm not sure there are any more besides Pete, and I'm supposed to be a vampire hunter. Christian turned to me. I wasn't kidding, Lillian. I want to be your sidekick. What's this? Annabelle asked. I want to be Jimmy Olsen to Lillian Superman he said. I sighed. Seriously, kid, you must have a better use for your time. I don't. Not even a little bit. I don't. And he stared around the table for a minute. Look, we were all there when the world changed. I don't know about the rest of you, but I feel a little bit responsible. Like, I have to help. I didn't ask what help he thought he'd be. 
I don't think he intended to do anything other than film my exploits anyway. Not the most useful sort of sidekick. Jimmy Olsen wasn't much compared to, say, Robin or Jughead. I guessed I'd better start reading comics to get a better sense of my heritage. I thought about the dark nights of the last month and the dark nights ahead of me. I stood up. I hate to poop the party, guys, but I'm tired and I need to do a sweep before bed. There was a generalized mumbling of dismay, but the conversation had turned so serious that everyone was ready to leave. We stood in a jumbled group for a moment, donning hats, coats, and mittens. I looked up from adjusting my scarf and caught Christian staring at me. Why don't you come with me? I found myself asking. His face lit with a dopey smile. Really? Yeah, really. We said our goodbyes and went into the cold, fresh night air to look for trouble. Together. Sidekicks. Every superhero needs one. Even me. Episode number 26, Black Ribbon, Don Albright's tale of a toxic female assassin, didn't seem to enthuse many commenters. Aitant said, With a premise as silly as this story, even good psychological development wouldn't be enough. It would have to be utterly brilliant to make the story actually work. This story failed to supply that by a long shot. The premise was a frequent source of complaint. Why spend years raising a poisonous woman when a well-aimed knife could do as well? Why bother assassinating the ambassador to begin with? Why did the main character do any of the things she did? Even the positive comments on the board were less than effusive. Hatton, for instance, said, I can't say that I loved it. It was interesting, kept my attention, and didn't suck. The pure evil of the girl at the end was just a bit over the top. At least a couple of blog commenters liked the story pretty well, though. Abby said, Spoilers ahead, warning. I thought this was a good story. It made me a little sick, but I think it was supposed to. A lot of people seemed confused by the plot. I thought it was fairly clear, although it was delivered piecemeal. An ancient, violent cult involving the very common element of temple prostitutes and perhaps child sacrifice has been overturned and then outlawed by an invading culture. The old temple degenerates into a common brothel. The ancient priestesses retaliate by separating two twins at birth, making one mysteriously alluring and the other poisonous. They tempt the leader of the new regime into a liaison and send the poison girl. As an added twist, she will almost certainly be sacrificed in the process, since she cannot live without the poison and no arrangements have been made for her to return to her carefully constructed existence. The author makes the whole thing interesting by getting inside of the tortured head of the poison twin. The story is a bit brief, but poignant. If you've got an opinion to share, come over to forum.escapeartist.info and share it. Whether you loved or hated today's story, we hope you'll keep checking out more audio fiction. Audible.com is the Internet's leading provider of spoken audio entertainment, providing digital versions of tens of thousands of audiobooks that you can download to your personal computer or MP3 player. Listen anywhen, anywhere. Audible has over 40,000 titles representing every genre, including 1,000 science and technology books and 1,100 science fiction and fantasy titles. Audible has been kind enough to offer a free audiobook to PodCastle listeners who sign up at audiblepodcast.com slash castle today. If I were to pick up something from Audible today, I'd grab Beggars in Spain by Nancy Cress. I'm a great admirer of Cress's short stories, but I've never picked up her novels before, and I really should fix that. 
Again, that website is audiblepodcast.com slash castle. Sign up and get your free audiobook today. Podcastle is a production of Escape Artists Incorporated and is distributed on a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives license. Share it, but don't change it or sell it. Our theme music is by Shiva in Exile. You can find them at magnatune.com. You can discuss this episode of Podcastle or nearly anything else on our forums. Just visit forum.escapeartist.info. And if you like science fiction or horror, be sure to visit our sister podcasts, Escape Pod and Pseudopod. And if you enjoyed this episode, tell a friend, or post to your blog about it, or consider donating via the PayPal link on our site. Some unnamed poet once scribbled on the flyleaf of their Latin textbook, Latin's a dead language, as dead as it can be. First it killed the Romans, and now it's killing me.